We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here today, coolly scheduled for tomorrow. Subscribe, rate, and review where you can. That's really been a huge help uh, to the podcast here in recent weeks and months. Much appreciated. Uh, Tommy and I haven't talked uh, together on this podcast since the Thursday night win over the Giants. Tommy, what did you think? Well, uh, you know, a win is a win, right? That's pretty much all you can say about it is a win is a win, you know, and it's better than being 0-2. But uh, other than Taylor Heineke's performance, there was nothing really to feel particularly good about uh, coming out of that game if you're a Washington football fan. Nothing to feel good about? Well, I mean, I'm sure you could find a couple of things, but uh, once the euphoria of not losing... Mm -hmm wore off because that's the that's the euphoria it's not winning the euphoria is not losing once that wore off you'd say jesus i mean you know i mean they're lucky to win that game even the court even the coach said they were fortunate to win well, of course they were lucky to win that game uh, anybody that says they weren't lucky to win that game is an idiot there was okay, an offside so, penalty on a field goal that missed. Yeah. Literally, the last play of the game, um, a guy jumped off sides, which, by the way, was very much debated over the weekend, I guess, with various photos. I thought he was offside. Yeah, the Giants, the Giants claimed otherwise. Yeah. He said he wasn't offside. Uh, but the, the league, I guess, didn't um, – the league said they thought it was uh, uh, called uh, accurately. I, I guess that's what, this, what the statement was. But – no, there were there were things to like more than just them winning the game, which was number one. Taylor Heineke was something to like for that I said, game. I said Taylor Heineke. What about Terry McLaurin? Well, Taylor, that's that's a given. I mean, that's not a surprise. That may have been the Terry best McLaurin game of his career. Is the, is the most stable force on that team. He's the most. He's the most money in the bank. Now he has to rely on other people to help him produce since he has to have the quarterback get him the ball. But Terry McLaurin is a given. You're not going to be surprised if Terry McLaurin has a good game. 
it's pretty obvious that they were lucky and very fortunate to win the game on Thursday night. It was a competitive game. It was a back-and-forth game. It was an exciting game. Phenomenal thriller final four or five minutes of that game. But the Giants dropped a wide-open touchdown pass, and they had somebody jump off sides on what would have been a game-winning missed field goal. The issue here through two games um, as it relates to this football team and the defense specifically is are we seeing just, you know, a short snippet season within a uh, a big season um, or is this a trend? Well, I mean, you better hope that this is just a slow start to the season. I mean, one of the things I brought up in the column I wrote in the Washington Times I read it. is that there's, there seems to be a pattern here of uh, a defense that uh, teams just walk down the field on. I mean, they just march down the field and score, have their will, you know, have their way with this vaunted great defense. And this defense you, everyone fell in love with last year. You know, I look, I, I, I wrote this column and it's a, good column. Ali, it's a good column. No, thank you. I just, thank you. I, just, I, just I just, I just retweeted it. Well, thank you. Thanks. Uh, I compared it because of the Muhammad Ali documentary that's on PBS right now. Is it now. good? It's, I watched the first episode. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's a lot about Ali that we already know. Of course. But, uh, but it's pretty good. So uh, I compared it to Ali's fight against a fighter nobody remembers named Jurgen Blinds. Was it Jurgen you or Jurgen? I, I say Jurgen. Okay. I don't know. It could be Jurgen. Yeah. Jurgen. Uh, yeah. And I said, you know, uh, Ali won against a forgettable opponent, but he took a he took a beating doing it. He took a far more big bigger beating than he thought he would, than anyone thought he would over. It. And I, I said, this was you know the Giants were jerking wins. No, I mean you know uh, a team that's probably not going to be that good that uh, nobody really has in high regard at this point. And uh, Washington took a far worse beating than they should have, than you would have expected them. 391 yards in total offense for the Giants. They didn't have that in, in, in the entire 2020 season. You have to go back to 2019 mm-hmm. to find a Giants offense that rolled up that many yards against an opponent. Tommy, they're concerned out there. Uh, about the defense. Uh, they're not alarmed. They're not panicked because they have, they believe, and I would agree with this, they've got enough talent to be a really good defense. Maybe not an elite defense, but they've got enough talent to be a very good defense, and they haven't played that way in the first two games. And there is some concern out there, and it's the concern that Ron Rivera has expressed to me on the radio show now two to three times. When I've asked him, you know, I asked him before the season, what's your biggest concern? He said, maturity. And then after the opener, I said, the maturity that you were talking about, is it a discipline maturity like on defense? He said, yes. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's very clear that the maturity that he was talking about is a level of discipline. And the discipline that I believe he is um, really referring to is that defensively, you know, he and Jack Del Rio and the defensive staff – You know, this goes back to last year where they had some issues teaching new techniques to some of the players that had been there. And there was actually some pushback from some of the guys that had been there. And it was the old, really, you guys were 3-13 and last year. Why don't we try it our way? 
Um, and it eventually, you know, played out that the defense had a good season, albeit against a pretty weak group of teams offensively anyway um, that they faced. Uh, we've been through all of that. But there is legitimate concern that this is a defense and a scheme that requires a level of discipline and a uh, an environment of do it our way and do your job the way we've told you to do our job. We don't like a lot of freelancing, for the lack of a better description. And there's some concern that they're getting too much of that right now. Um, from how many players, I have no idea. But from at least a couple. And one of those players would be Chase Young. Because Chase Young, and I pointed out here in the post-game recap podcast last week, played a little bit, you know, freelance, freelancing-ish in that game on that slot corner by Kendall Fuller, which we talked about. He almost got in the way, almost tripped him up. Um, anyway, uh, they want more play it our way, do it the way we've taught you how to do it, and everything will be fine. And that's not necessarily – um, what they've gotten through two games. So I can tell you that there is some frustration slash concern about this. Now, again, are they panicked? No, they've got talent. They understand it. And, you know, uh, they got to coach it up. You know, a lot of this is on them um, to coach it up. But, uh, you know, they're going to get, by the way, um, they're going to get a quarterback who was one of those quarterbacks that when we looked at the schedule, we thought, oh, Josh Allen, you know, top 10 quarterback. I still think he is a top 10 quarterback, but he has not played like a top 10 quarterback in these first two games. He's had a rough start to the season. So this will be an interesting matchup Sunday between a defense that was supposed to be great against a quarterback that was supposed to be great, and yet neither one of them, the defense for Washington or the quarterback for Buffalo, has played that well in the first two games. Well, I mean, look, you, you, you watched the Miami game. I didn't watch Miami game. I'm sure what you saw is, is accurate. Uh, but the pattern that I talked about is teams not just playing well, offense is not playing well, but doing their best, having like, some of their best days. I mean, the Chargers had 424 yards of offense. That's the most they had since the beginning of November last year. Yeah. And then you got go back to the, you know the uh, the playoff game last year. I mean, I know it's Tom Brady. I know it's the eventual Super Bowl champions, but they had 507 yards of offense. So I mean, teams are not just offensively playing well; they're 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 playing their best uh, offensively against this unit. And given the fact that Daniel Jones' uh, mobility gave the defense such a problem, that would seem to really spell uh, disaster for this Washington team facing a guy like Josh Allen. Yeah, um, I, 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 I agree with that. I, I think I, I want to say one other thing about them defensively. They're not happy with what's, you know, and they're, they're concerned um, because they are a big believer in what they've schemed up. Um, at the same time, they've been close defensively. You know, there were moments in the Chargers game. The, the, the overall result was terrible, you, uh, but not every player was terrible. Um, against the Giants, there were, there were moments, you know, multiple players played pretty well. I actually think I'm less concerned about the front four, even if 
not all of the front four players are playing you know, the scheme exactly the way you want. There's so much talent on the front four. I think they're going to get results. I'm concerned that in their first two games, the opponents have had people wide open all day and all night long. I think the front four is so talented, and hopefully it'll become more disciplined um, and it'll become more a part of the scheme consistently that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio are coaching. But I'm concerned that in that back seven, people have been wide open against uh, some of their coverages. Uh, I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's play calling. I don't know if it's coverage. But some of it is just flat out these guys aren't covering well. They're not passing off players from one zone to another properly. Or in man, they're not close. Now, they were close in the the Charger game, not as close the other night. And then when they are beat, committing blatant penalties. Um, But really, in the first two games, we've had too many instances of people wide open. Uh, That, to me, is a bigger concern right now defensively. But Big picture, it's two games, and they do have a lot of talent on defense, certainly in their front four, but I think they have some talent elsewhere too. I don't think think Kendall Fuller's as bad as he's played in the first two games. I think Cameron Curl's actually played pretty well at times. Uh, I think, you know, we've seen signs from both rookies, the corner uh, St. Juice, and also from Jamin Davis, especially in the last game. Um, I think I'm hopeful that, you know, it's going to improve. Uh, Sunday will be a big test, but I do think, you know, it's way too early to panic because I think there's just too much talent to panic after two games. You know, that this is what the coach himself said. I mean, the coach himself said there's too many good football players right. for us not to play better than what we did today against the win over the Giants. And I loved and what right. you wrote about that, too. You know, but once yeah, once you start saying, "Boy, there's a lot of good players on this team, but they're not playing very good," yeah, people are just going to start saying, "Well, then it's then there's a coaching problem." That's right. You keep you keep saying that. Uh, now I know you know part. Look, you're right about the talent, and uh, that you know is is one reason to think well they'll get it right at some point, and at some point even if they even if they make mistakes, they have too much talent. To uh, they have enough talent to over to compensate for those mistakes, but you know, I mean, last year, you know, the the fourth ranked defense in the league. I pointed out in my column, they only gave up 305 yards a game, but they played, they faced a lot of Jurgen blends last last year. That's right, almost every week. I mean, they're facing Joe Frazier's, George Foreman's, and Ken Norton's this year. Well, they didn't Thursday so, night. No, they didn't. You know, Jurgen Blinn almost beat him on Thursday night. Yes, yes. So that 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 that's that's that was my point. And let's face it, they beat Buffalo on the road, and everybody's throwing a party. Then then we're talking about expectations here instead of disappointment. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a different picture, right? That's painted um, that we're looking at uh, after they held on for the win the other night at one and one um, versus being zero and two and heading to Buffalo in many ways had they 
had Hopkins, you know, missed the field goal with no penalty, and they lost that game 29-27 at 0-2 heading to Buffalo, um, it would have really been bleak around here. But at 1-1, one one, um, there's a whole new – you know, attitude, you know, now you look at, okay, road games at Buffalo road game at Atlanta. Hey, let's just get the split. You know, there isn't an urgency um, to the Buffalo game like there was with the giant game um, at all. We say it all the time. It, it, the NFL's just so week to week, you know, for so many of the teams and look at last week uh, versus the first week. You know, you had a team like the Bears that got blown out and a team like the Bengals who had this upset win over Minnesota and the Bears beat the Bengals. We had the Rams blow out the Bears and the Colts get blown out by Seattle and the Colts nearly knock off the Rams. They covered um, in that game. Uh, you had... Uh, the Panthers barely hold on against the Jets. The Saints look like the most impressive team in the league, and the Saints looked like one of the worst teams in the league um, on Sunday, losing twenty-six to seven. You know, you you get that. You know, every year the Titans lose; they get blown out by Arizona. Seattle wins in Indy, and Seattle loses at home to the Titans in overtime. Um, Green Bay looks terrible a week ago, and then they blow out Detroit last night. I mean, that's probably not the best of examples, but it's just, it's really, um, it's 17 games now. It, I know it's a sprint compared to the other sports, but this sport changes so much more um, in such shorter periods of time than any of the other sports. I, I, I get all that. You're yeah. right about all that. So, my, so where my do we go? Point, you just have to watch the games. My point here is uh, the pattern of, of, of performance by the defense beyond winning and losing. I mean, there, there is a pattern here right now that has to change. I mean, I, how, I, how many games does it take to say this is the defense? I mean, it's been three straight games if you go back from last year. Uh, yeah, they were not good in that playoff game against Tampa, and they were not good in the first two games uh, this year. Um, and they're getting a team in in this upcoming weekend that has not been playing well offensively, uh, even though they're capable offensively. I mean, you have to say that. And if we're going to sit here like I do every year and talk about the week-to-week nature of the NFL just because Josh Allen hasn't played well in the first two games, and he hasn't, and I've got more on that coming up. Um, It doesn't mean that this won't be their breakout game, but it would be a little bit disturbing if the breakout game came against uh, a team that was supposed to be great defensively on Sunday. So, um, But, yeah, I, I think the trend is not their friend right now. That's for sure. Speaking of elite quarterbacks, how about that Taylor Heineke, baby? Well, uh, he gets his biggest opportunity on Sunday and the most unique of his very few limited chances on Sunday because it's his first road game, Tommy. Uh, remember, he played uh, in relief against Carolina last year at home. Then he played against Tampa in the playoff game at home. Then he came off the bench against San Diego at home, uh, L.A., the Chargers at home. And then he started against, uh, started against the Giants at home. And the only game he ever started in Carolina was a home game as well. So he gets his first legit road game in a very 
hostile arena. You know, Buffalo, uh, it's going to be cold. It's going to be maybe damp. And when I say cold, like in the 50s, um, and they, they've got uh, high expectations up there. I really, first of all, I'm really um, now, just as I'm talking about this, I'm excited to see what he can do in that environment. I'm also mindful of this, that he's played very well. Um, He has played at, you know, if you're grading it, he's been an A since he got that first chance against Carolina and has played 11 and a half quarters. But this is a completely different test, and this is a much more revealing test on Sunday of a quarterback. You know, elite quarterbacks do it everywhere. Really good quarterbacks are able to do it everywhere. You know, the guys that are journeymen, occasional starters, mostly backups, don't do it everywhere. This is going to be revealing uh, to see how he handles this. And you know what, Tom? I think he will do okay in it. I don't think he's going to fear it. I, I don't think this is going to be, you know, a situation, you know, a John Beck against the Bills, although that game was in Toronto. Um, I, I don't know if they'll be he'll be good enough or the team will be good enough to win. Um, but this is a this is a real interesting test. The more I'm talking about it, the more I'm getting excited to see what Taylor Heineke does uh, in his first true big time road environment. Taylor Heineke, baby, <laughs> you know it's a party. It's a Taylor Heineke. I mean, he, look, I, I said I don't think there's much of a difference between him and Fitzpatrick and, and Kyle Allen. I think they're all the same guy. Different, different skill sets, but I think the results are all going to be the same. And I think this kid, if he can stay healthy, can, can get them to eight wins over the course of a season, which is what I predicted for them. You know, I don't think they, I don't think they particularly will lose much, maybe durability, uh, since Ryan Fitzpatrick was durable until he went down the first week uh, for, for Washington. Kyle Allen's not necessarily durable either. He, He's been hurt. So, uh, and there were some questions, you know, like, I mean, this is nitpicking stuff. His throws were high. Uh, some of his throws were high. Uh, he seems to thrive in play action, does not throw the ball down the field uh, much uh, with success. But this is all nitpicking stuff. I mean, he was terrific. If he plays well in this environment on Sunday, um, that'll be a big step towards what you just said, that you think he can be a quarterback that can, that can win eight games um, this year for them uh, as a starter. I mean, he's got to stay upright you know, for 17 or for the next six anyway. I, I said yesterday on the show, Tommy, um, that ultimately all of the hand-wringing over Taylor Heineke is, you know, it's awesome. It's conversation, you know, but we're going to see. I mean, he's going to get six more weeks probably minimum as long as he stays healthy. And at the end of the, those six weeks, we're going we're gonna to know a lot more than we know now because it will include, if he plays the next six games, road trips to Buffalo, Lambeau, and Denver and home games against the Chiefs and the Saints. And, you know, we'll know a lot more about Taylor Heineke in six weeks. We don't have to have a conclusion. Nobody's forcing anybody, even though some people want to declare him already the franchise quarterback moving forward. Let's sign him right now to a long-term deal. Can't let him get to free agency at the end of this year. 
Um, actually, I think uh, did he sign a two-year deal? I forget what what the deal was on I Taylor he did. Heineke. He signed, um, no, he did sign a two-year deal. Well, maybe it was a team option on the uh, the second year. I'm looking it up right now because I want to. I, I I forget. It was a very minimal risk deal from the team. Um, it was a good deal for the team, as I remember. Yeah, it was two year, four point seven five million, uh, one million dollars signing bonus, a, m- bonus a million and a half uh, guaranteed. So he is under contract next year. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, there's also some big incentives um, that he can earn. Uh, he gets um, there are four million dollars in incentives in his contract. And it's, it all has to do with him end, ending up playing a lot and producing at just a medium level. Um, but, you know, it, it's mostly about playing and taking snaps and being the starting quarterback. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does at Buffalo. This is really a big, big test for him. Thursday night was big. It was his start. It's a regular season yeah. start. It's on national TV. Um, and those of you that sent me some big graphics saying Ron Rivera's 4-0 in primetime, he's not 4-0 in primetime. He's 2-0 as the Washington coach in primetime. Uh, the Dallas game on Thanksgiving was not a primetime game. It was an afternoon game, a 4-30 start. And the Pittsburgh game on that Monday was a 5 o'clock start. If you want to call that primetime, you can, but it's actually not primetime. And I'll, I'll also add, that game wasn't nationally televised. It was regionally televised um, because it was the – Reschedule because of all the COVID issues with Baltimore, and they had played Baltimore the week before on a Wednesday. Um, anyway, I've got some stuff on Buffalo that I want to share with everybody uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. My bookie has a $50,000 survivor contest that's absolutely free if you use my promo code KevinDC when you sign up at mybookie.ag. A survivor contest is you just have to pick the winner. No point spreads involved. You go week to week, and eventually the last guy standing wins. Now, you can't use the same team twice week in and week out. Um, but many of you know what a survivor pool or contest looks like. And right now at my bookie, they've got a $50,000 survivor contest. And again, it's absolutely free to enter if you use my promo code KevinDC. And if you sign up with mybookie.ag using my promo code KevinDC, they are going to double your first deposit. All right, dollar for dollar. Put in 500 bucks, you'll have 1000 in your account instantly. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere. Uh, with my bookie. So I I just spent not a lot of time, um, but I spent some time just watching Buffalo and Miami and then going back and watching a little bit of Buffalo and Pittsburgh. First of all, Buffalo is um, the, the thing that stood out more than anything is that they're pretty good defensively. Uh, they've got, let me just say, they've got good players defensively. And their head coach, Sean McDermott, who is a defensive guy, was Ron Rivera's defensive coordinator uh, in Carolina. Leslie Frazier is the defensive coordinator uh, in Buffalo. They've got a defensive mindset, but they've got some talent on defense. You know, Hughes and Oliver and Addison um, and the first-round pick out of Miami, Rousseau, he had two sacks against Miami. The kid from Virginia Tech that they drafted a few years ago that was so young, Tremaine Ed- Edmonds, is really coming into his own. I'm a big Matt Milano fan. Tredavious White's flat out one of the best corners in the NFL. Micah Hyde has always been one of the smartest players uh, in the NFL. They've got talent on defense, and it's shown up here in the first two weeks of the season. Um, Neither the Steelers nor Dolphins could run the ball against Buffalo. Now, the Pittsburgh hasn't been a big running team anyway, but they were hoping to be more so this year with Najee Harris, and they had in the second half a two-score lead. They were trying to run. Um, They they couldn't. They they essentially, with Najee Harris, averaged 2.8 yards um, per carry against Buffalo. And Miami got behind and was trying to throw the ball with Jacoby Brissett because Tua went out, and Tua was awful in the two drives that he played, two or three drives that he played for Miami. Just looked terrible. Um, and Brissett actually was was better. Uh, but, um, you know, one of the things you want to be able to do with a young, inexperienced quarterback playing in a very hostile environment against a team with a very good pass rush, which I'll get to here in a moment, is you'd like to take the pressure off them by being able to run the football. If they can run the football against Buffalo, um, that will be surprising to me given what I've seen in the first two games. Now, Buffalo last year wasn't a great run defense, um, but I think they have the talent to be a good run defense. And It could be the the first two opponents that they faced, which is why they've looked so good um, as a run defense. And maybe Washington will run it all over them on Sunday. But I think they're going to have to have Taylor Heineke make throws against 
extra man pressure. And that's the other thing that I'm uh, you, you see with Buffalo. They blitz a hell of a lot, and they blitz from everywhere. They have exotic blitzes that they scheme up. And in the game, um, in the opener, uh, you had uh, uh, only two sacks and six quarterback hits on Ben as the ball was getting out pretty pretty quickly. But one of those sacks in that game uh, was by Jordan Poyer, a safety. Then on Sunday against Miami, good God, they were coming from everywhere against Brissett and early in the game against Tua. They had six sacks on Miami's quarterbacks um, uh, in that game. Uh, six total sacks in the game uh, against – and 11 quarterback hits. Here it was. Sorry, I lost uh, track there. And of the sacks, okay, Teron Johnson had one. He's a corner. Uh, Micah Hyde had one. He's a safety. Uh, Matt Milano had one. He's a linebacker. A couple of times they came with corners and safeties that nearly got there. They're going to send a whole lot of exotic stuff at Taylor Heineke. I think this is going to be a great opportunity on the road, a team with a fan base that's all fired up. This is going to be the real first sort of adverse conditions game we're going to get to see Taylor Heineke in. And by the way... And it's, a, it's adverse conditions. You're right about that. And here's the other thing, Tommy. For the first time, would you agree with me on this? For the first time... Maybe a little bit of expectation for Taylor in a game. There were no expectations against Tampa. We didn't even know he was going to start until right. you know the last minute. Um, the Giant game, after the way he played against the Chargers, you know it was a well. We'll see. Who knows? And this one, though, now there's a little bit of expectation. Look, I have more expectation. I don't have a lot of expectation. But I do. Ha- I have a growing confidence level that this guy's got some baller in him, and he's going to make some plays. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if he makes some bad plays, like he did at the end of the Giant game in Buffalo. But I don't think that he'll, you know, cower, you know, you know, uh, curl up in a ball. I think he'll keep slinging and keep trying to make plays. Now, will he be good enough? This, this is going to be a really interesting game because Buffalo uh, defensively has playmakers. Now, offensively, I mentioned they're not playing well. Josh Allen has been very off in these first two games. Let me point out, Pittsburgh's a very good defensive team and Miami is a good defensive team. Josh Allen is completing 55.9% of his passes in the first two games of the year. That's more in line with his Wyoming completion percentage when everybody thought that uh, accuracy was going to be a big problem. He is in the league right now among the 32 starting quarterbacks for the season uh, in completion um, percentage. Let me see where he is. He's got to be way down there. He's 30th. He's 30th in the league well, right now it, in it, completion is, percentage. It's, well, it's got to be a rough day for him because Washington, I've been told, has a good defense, don't they? Yes. <laughs> we can hold off on some of the sarcasm at this point. You made your point in the opening segment. <laughs> you, you, want, you, you think the defense is great because everybody's told you it's great, and yet it hasn't been great. We get it. 
we get it. We, we understand that you think the expectations for the defense are a little bit wildly out of touch. Um, Josh Allen, 55.9%, 30th in completion percentage. Again, against two good defensive teams. His passer rating is 77 in the first two games. Let me see where that ranks. Uh, that can't be very good either. No, that um, can't be good. That is 28th in the league through two games. His QBR is not very good either. It ranks 23rd um, in the league through two games. Uh, And yes, we are supposed to, we being the Washington football team, have a third straight very good defense that he's facing. So if he comes out and lights them up on Sunday, it's going to be a big concern. The he did not light Miami up. He was seventeen to thirty three in the game for crying out loud against the Dolphins. Dolphins were, it, it, God, there. I mean, it's, it's funny about these games. You just look at the scores and even a box score, and it can be so misleading. Miami never had a chance to win the game. Don't get me wrong, but the game was more competitive than the score indicated. It was fourteen nothing well into the third quarter, and Miami had the ball multiple times in you know, uh, in scoring range, I don't know how many red zone trips they actually had in the game. They were in the red zone three times and outside it a couple of times and didn't score at all. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, Devin Singletary, a back that I loved coming out of Florida Atlantic, looks like he's really starting to come into his own. He's been their most effective offensive player in the first two games. He's averaging six and a half yards per carry. He just hasn't gotten a ton of touches um, in either game. Um, but he's a guy that they'll have to uh, to certainly keep an eye on. But this should be, for the defense – Perhaps, you know, it what it didn't look that way on the schedule two weeks ago, but they're probably catching this offense right now at, at a good time. It doesn't seem to be in sync. On the other hand, uh, if, we, if we go by evidence of what we know, uh, Josh Allen has become an elite quarterback. He's not performing at an elite level. Not through two games, he isn't, no. No, he isn't. But his track record would tell you he is an elite quarterback. There's no doubt that last year um, Josh Allen became a, a, a franchise quarterback at a, at a big-time level. I mean, last yeah. year um, – I'm pulling up the numbers because they were outrageous. Last year, uh, 69.2% completion percentage, 4,544 yards, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions – now, he did um, also have five fumbles on the year. And then what were his rushing numbers last year? Uh, rushed for eight touchdowns and 421 yards. Yeah, he was, you know, before two weeks ago, before the season started, Josh Allen was in everybody's top ten. And yes. for some people, higher and climbing quickly. And so far this year, he's back, you know, statistically – more in line with where he was in his first two years when everybody you know labeled him as a bust. But it's only two games, and we've seen what he can do. Like, he was spectacular last year as a playmaker. Spectacular. Um, but uh, but he, it's been a rough start. Again, they, remember, let me emphasize this, 
Pittsburgh appears to be a very good defensive team. And I think Miami is a decent defensive team, too. And so, um, you know, the, the results could be because he's played two excellent defensive teams. As you would say, well, he's about to get his third. That's what I've heard. I've heard that that Washington's going to be the third tough defensive team that he's faced. Speaking of speaking of defensive teams, yeah. Uh, I, apparently, when Ron Rivera was on, uh, and if he said this with you, uh, I apologize. It's, it's fine. Okay. It's if you didn't hear it, I don't care. Okay, just say it. But when he was on with the junkies. Uh, He's on with the junkies today. He, okay. he goes on he with them this morning. morning. What did he say? And and he was asked in that that basically uh, softball style. Uh, if your star, if his star passer was putting too much pressure on himself, meaning Chase Young. In other words, why isn't Chase Young playing better? And Rivera said, without a doubt. This is such a this is such a coach answer. You really got to look through all the lines to see this. The kid works so hard. The way he comes to practice, the way he goes through meetings, the way he's on the field, he wants to be explosive. He wants to make things happen, and he's really trying. Here's the money quote. Because of that, I think every now and then he puts himself in a bad position. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to fault guys that give you everything they got. I mean, you know, I mean, you got to see what he's saying here. No, I, I know what he's saying. Um, he's been out of position and out of the position they want him in and want him in multiple times in these first two games. Now, um, there is recognition about his impact on games by just being out there. You know, there have been players that have been far less productive on defense than Chase Young. Uh, He's had an impact by just being there, and he's made some plays. There is recognition, too, that this is a young player. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, um, if he's not playing the scheme the way they want him to do it, and this goes for any player, you know, it's their job to coach him up, you know? And And let's face it, he's got a lot on his plate. Right? I mean, there's, oh, there's, Here you know, go. there's game show appearances, uh, okay. there's rap music, okay. there's rap records to come out. Yeah, he's got, a, he's juggling a lot of things. So let's not be hard on him. Well, he does have, seems to have a lot of things going on. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Enough about that because he ha- he actually has been far, far from the worst player on defense. Most of those players exist in in the linebacking and, and the secondary. Um, group. I think Kendall Fuller's been terrible in these first two games, and that's oh, a surprise yeah. to me. Um, but uh, he's had impact on some of these games. But you know what I don't want to hear? I don't want to hear next week he's trying so hard, but he's still getting himself into some positions. Coach his ass up. You know, it's your responsibility to take outrageous talents, which Chase Young is, and to coach him up. If he's not playing the scheme exactly the way you want to, make him so so he does Oof. become that great player. There you go, baby. 
I just want anybody who isn't playing well and who isn't, you know, uh, playing the scheme exactly the way they want the scheme to be played. I want them to start playing the scheme. You know, it's it's up to a coach to, hey, you're not playing the scheme right, whether it's coverage, whether it's linebacking, whether it's, you know, edge rusher. Well, we'll find somebody that can until you're ready to do it exactly the way we want you to do it. Uh, this team is too talented defensively, as Rivera said, not to get yes. high-level results. Yes. I'm not saying they're the, they're, they're the best defense in the NFL. I don't believe that to be true. But this is a top-10 talent defense in the league just because Absolutely. of what they have up front. Um, what you what you wrote in your column, you know, it's it's what it's what Coach Thompson used to say. Be careful if you keep admitting it. Well, it's different actually. That's one way to do it, right? To keep talking up the talent and then not produce, then it becomes clear it's coaching. Yeah. But uh, Thompson, yeah. I remember, um, and I think it may have been Jay Gruden early on. That was like, yeah, that was my fault. Yeah, we, I, I, I need to do a better job here. And coach he came, do that a lot. Coach came on the air the next day and said, "Hey, Jay, little advice: if you keep admitting you're the problem, they're going to start to believe you." <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Sunday's a Sunday really is a, a big. It, it's it's a big game, but it's not like the, the in the same way that the Giant game was because we there was a, a real sense of urgency. Getting the Giant win takes the edge off a little bit as it yes, relates it to this. I mean, this game they, they could lose to Buffalo, turn around and and go to Atlanta, a winnable game. And beat Atlanta and be two and two. Yeah. After four games, you're going to take that. Yeah, you, you would uh, in the next two road games. You'd take one and one right now and run with it because there are nine point yes. dogs Sunday. Actually, that yes. line's coming down a little bit, but I do think it's really uh, um, it's a, such an interesting matchup because you've got you know before the season started, we would have said this is the best quarter back of the first three, the best quarterback that they'll face in the first three games. I'm not so sure that's true. It might be Herbert, but who knows? They're both really gifted and talented. Um, but for Taylor Heineke, you know, first road game, tough environment. I want to see how he does. This is this. That's number one on the list for me is how will Taylor Heineke play in this atmosphere? I, look, uh, Taylor Heineke Again, I'm of the philosophy, and not to say that I couldn't be proven wrong, that there's a reason these guys uh, wind up in the XFL, and it has to do with exposure. The more you're on the field, the more your limitations are exposed. I don't think composure is one of his problems. I think he'll be composed even in an atmosphere like that. Uh, My gut tells me that I agree with you on that. Uh, up next, coaching blunders and taunting, uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's 
So I did one of the coaching blunders for the week yesterday, um, and that was Mike McCarthy's coaching blunder at the end of the game where the Cowboys didn't get better field position for the game-winning kick for Greg Zerline when they had plenty of time to do it. Now, he made the kick, um, so I guess uh, all is well. What I did not see before yesterday's show was one of the worst in-game coaching decisions that um, I can remember. I, I David Culley is the new coach of the Houston Texans, Tommy. He's the one that's been dealing with the whole Deshaun Watson thing um, in uh, in Houston. And, and by the way, the Texans won their opener against Jacksonville and actually were very much in the game Sunday against Cleveland. They had a first-half lead against Cleveland, 14-7, to and it was a 24-21 game uh, early in the fourth quarter uh, of that game. I think it was 24-21 um, early in the fourth quarter. But he made a decision that's one of the the biggest head-scratchers of all time. It was such a head-scratcher that the referees checked, to make sh- they checked with him to make sure that that's actually what he wanted to do. Um, Kevin Stefanski, uh, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, was caught like scratching his head and, and looking to the skies like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Let me spell it out for you. So early in the second quarter, um, in a 7-7 to game, uh, the Texans had the ball at their own 38-yard line on a third down and 15. And on that third and 15 play, they picked up 13 yards into Cleveland territory at the Cleveland 49-yard line, and they faced fourth down and two. Now, on the third and 15 play, there was a penalty. It was an offsides penalty against Cleveland. So, obviously, you've got two choices there if you're the coach. You take the penalty and you take another swing on third and long. This time it would be third and ten. Or you liked the gain on third down, and you're like, hell, we'll go for the fourth and two in Cleveland territory at their 49-yard line. We'll we'll decline, decline the penalty, keep our offense out there, and go for it on fourth and two. That's Those are the two choices. There are no other choices. Now, there are other possibilities, <laughs> but there are no other choices, except if you are David Cully. Cully declined the penalty, fourth down and two, and instead of going for fourth down and two, punted it. <laughs> he punted the ball. The officials looked confused as they were talking to him, uh, thinking that maybe they, when he sent the punt team out, that maybe he had misunderstood the referees in terms of what the options were. But he said, no, no, I'm declining the penalty. And they said, well, but you're, you're sending your punt team out. Did, did you, you could have had third and ten. And the uh, Stefanski was shown on TV looking totally perplexed as well, the head coach of Cleveland. After the game, Cully was asked about it, and he said, or I'm sorry, on Monday, yesterday, he was asked about it, and he said, quote, if I had to do it all over again, I would have taken the penalty. It was more out of, out of frustration than anything. I was a little frustrated at the time because I was thinking field position. I didn't want to do anything that hurt us. That was just out of frustration on my part because of the series we were having at the time. But if I had to do it over again, I would have taken the penalty and given our offense a chance to get the first down, which is what I should have done. Um, Closed quote. 
Um, I'm not sure what he was frustrated over. They were moving the football on that drive. It was their second drive of the game. The first drive, they went eight plays, 84 yards for a touchdown. And then they're on the move to take the lead again um, into the early part of the second quarter. Like, he's 66 years old. He was a surprise hire, Tommy. You know, major surprise head coach hire by the Houston Texans who just two weeks ago before the regular season opened were thought to be the worst team in the league Um, and in total disarray. They win their opener and then they are in the game against one of the AFC, you know, favorites this year. Cully's 66, hardly, you know, too old to coach. I'm not suggesting that. Um, But this was a major whiff on his part. And that's one of those things, you know, you can you can apologize for it and you can say, I should have, I should have. But if you're a Houston Texans fan, two games into this thing, on that thing, you're a little bit concerned. Like, whoa. You know, whoa. what I don't understand is anyone, isn't anyone, any of his staff on the no sideline grabbing him and say, you know, coach, wait a minute. This is our, this is our situation here. You know, he may have been frustrated, but somebody's got to snap him out of it. Somebody has to go to him and say, Coach, no, 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 Coach, you just you declined the penalty. Uh, yeah. The, get the offense out there and go for it. No, yeah. no, no, we're punting. Somebody. No, 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 you can't, you can't punt. We're, we're in this by seven. The, by the way, what? By the way, the Texans, Ty- Tyrod Taylor is out. Davis Mills will start uh, Thursday night. That's too bad. The Panthers. How, old, how long is he out for? Because Mills came Doesn't in in that say, game. Just, I don't know. I think, I, like Houston right now through two weeks, if Tyrod Taylor were healthy, I have no idea what Davis Mills is going to be. He's the kid out of Stanford that a lot of people were excited about um, before the draft. But um, Houston would be the ultimate slap in the in the offseason, you know, uh, prognostication business if they ended up, you know, having like a 9-8 and eight season and qualified as a wild card or something like that. And the funny thing is Tyrod Taylor has played decent football at times. It, you know, he, he's not Deshaun Watson, obviously, but they've got talent on that team on offense in particular. They, they've got, they added Philip Lindsay from Denver. They've got Mark Ingram. They've got, you know, David Johnson. I have no, no idea how old David Johnson is now. Um, he's probably, he's got to be 30, 31, 32, something like that. And he's had all the injuries. Um, it just would, it, I mean, they had a chance at Cleveland to win that game if, if Tyrod Taylor stays in it. Uh, Mills came in, played okay for them. Uh, but that would be the ultimate, right? You know, Houston universally, no one picked anybody other than Houston to have the number one pick in the draft in 2022. They are in total disarray. They're a bad team. Deshaun Watson's out. They only won three games or whatever it was last year, and they win the opener in blowout fashion, and they've got Cleveland on the ropes in Cleveland about to force Cleveland to go to 0-2, and Taylor got hurt. Mills came in. Taylor was 10 of 11 for 125 yards and a touchdown when he got hurt. He had a 94.9 QBR and a 144.3 passer rating when he left the game. Mills came in, was 8 of 18 for 102 yards, threw a pick, um, and – and, and they ended up losing 31-21. Anyway, um, that's your massive coaching blunder 
uh, of the week, much more so than the Dallas one. And then I did want to mention my, my, my buddy Tim Murray, our friend Tim Murray, sent me um, something about the BYU-Arizona uh, State game late, late Saturday night. It wasn't a coaching blunder. It was a coaching decision that was uh, kind of unique. Um, and it was BYU scored with a minute and 10 or something left in the game to take a 27-17 lead over Arizona State. And on the extra point, they decided not to kick it. They sent the offense out there, and they took a knee on the extra point. And Tim said, pretty unique. He tweeted it out, and um, and he sent it to me. And we've seen many times at the end of games when the only possibility of the uh, of the other team winning is a you know a block extra point and a return for two or you know right. an interception. And we've seen teams take a knee, but not with like a over a minute to go in a ten point game, but. You know, Tim's point was, if they did get it returned, blocked and returned, it's 27-19, and they're going to get the ball. It's pretty much the only chance that Arizona State would have had. And that's true, but it's not the it, – it's, it's almost true. Um, the other chance they have is scoring quickly, going for two, if they're down 28-17, to make it 28-25 and recovering an onside kick, which is still a long shot. Um, but with that much time left, would I want a 28-17 lead or would I – in taking the risk that it's not going to be blocked in return for two, which is pretty you know, low probability, or do I want a 27-17 lead with no risk of a blocked extra point in return? I, I, I probably would – kick the extra point um I probably would not have thought I probably wouldn't have thought about taking the knee but I think it was you know an interesting thing that they did um and the only difference is you know if they get a quick score and they're 30 seconds left and it's 27 24 and they recover an onside kick well that 10 point that 11 point lead would have come in handy they would have had to go for two to cut it to three um and get in into that position anyway uh I um I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the Baltimore win over Kansas City the other night. I thought Lamar Jackson was just phenomenal uh, in what was clearly the best game of the first two weeks of the season. It really was. I mean, basically, he, 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 he carried the team. He put the team on his shoulders, carried the team to that remarkable comeback. Uh, and, you know, this is... This is part of my gig. I can't help it. It's in my DNA. But when John Harbaugh went on the field and said, Lamar, do you want to go for it? You know, this wasn't Jimmy Chitwood saying to Norman Dale, <laughs> I'll make it. Okay? I'm sorry. John Harbaugh, if, if Lamar Jackson had said, Coach, are you nuts? John Harbaugh would have went for it just the same. He still would have went for it. Yeah. You know, what Lamar Jackson said was, was a great dramatic moment for a coach and, you know, probably helped solidify their relationship even more. But it wasn't going to change John Harbaugh's mind. He was going for it. Of course he was. I, 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 talked, yeah. I talked about this yesterday, like, People are making it so much about analytics, and I'm like, no. Ten years ago, before anybody even mentions, you know, football and analytics, that 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 was a go for it situation. Bill Barnwell, you know the um, 
the the the, the writer for ESPN who writes those super right. long pieces um, tweeted out the following yesterday, and I saw it, and 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 I it was to me it totally struck exactly what I was trying to say. If I didn't say it quite as well yesterday on the podcast, he said. I think putting the game on the line with the thing you do best and not letting the other team do the thing they do best is smart and doesn't require even a shred of math. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That yes. was that was the situation. It's like they have not stopped us from running and we can't give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. I also thought it was interesting that NBC put up a graphic uh, either before or after the fourth down conversion, that said that the win probability if Baltimore punted the ball was still 60%. I, I don't, you know, a lot of that is based on, you know, time and score and distance and all of that stuff historically. In that particular situation, I don't think that Baltimore's win probability was better than 50-50 if they had punted it back to Patrick Mahomes. And I know that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs would have had poor field position potentially and no timeouts. I would put it at least at 50-50 that Mahomes would have gotten them in field goal range with a minute left and no timeouts. I think I don't think Kansas City had less than a 50-50 win probability if they got the ball back. I would have put it slightly higher than 50-50 in that particular situation. I would also add that their kicker, Butker, even with poor starting field position potentially and no timeouts, you know, they only have to get to Baltimore's 40-yard line to send them out there. Uh, he's got a big leg and is a really good kicker. So I don't know. Uh, to me, that was a no-brainer. It's, that's the only way you're going to lose that game, real, unless you don't make the fourth down. But then you're giving the ball back to them anyway. Either way, you know, one, you're just giving them the ball. The other one, at least you have a chance to keep the ball away from them. And they haven't stopped you once in the second half because the player on the field who played the best that night was dominating you. You could not stop him. Um, Lamar Jackson was great uh, in that game. The decision was the right decision. The game itself was phenomenal. Uh, anyway, um, let's finish up uh, the show with this taunting um, discussion. Uh, Pete Carroll, for those of you who don't know, the NFL has emphasized and asked their referees to enforce the taunting penalty, the 15-yard penalty for taunting um, opponents. And through the first two weeks of the season, there have been 11 taunting penalties called. Last year, for the entirety of the 2020 season, there were 11. The year before that, there were only nine uh, taunting penalties. So there's been an emphasis on calling uh, the taunting penalty, which has upset some coaches, including Pete Carroll, who said the other day after their loss uh, against Tennessee, a game in which uh, his team got called for two of these taunting penalties. He said uh, that um, uh, we've really opened up a can of worms a little bit with this. He said you've got a lot of guys that have to deal with those explosive moments and they've got to really turn their focus away from the opponent. It's a good thought. It's just hard to manage this. Uh, I'll let you go first. What do you think? Well, Look, I'm not passionate about it, but I think it's a sad commentary on our society when we have a generation that thinks taunting is okay. 
that's one way to look at it. I'm, I'm not sure the people who are against the emphasis of this think taunting is okay. Oh, well, I, I don't understand what the other side is. Well, the I other, mean, if you're going to change, if you're going to change a behavior in your organization, of course, in the, and is it worth changing? I don't know if it's worth changing. But, of course, there's going to be rough moments in the early days of executing those changes. But if you, I mean, at some point, you know, players will get the message. I don't think this will last. I think that the, the pushback is going to be so great that the league will just fold on this thing, and you'll be back to, uh, you know, people sticking footballs in their opponents' faces for getting a seven-yard catch. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I'm not passionate but that, about it. But, but again, that has I, been penalized in the past. That's that's the what, what we're. Um... I think, you know, you you think that taunting is that they're somehow eliminating the guy gets up and he sticks the ball in somebody's face and taunts him. That's always been flagged in the past. I think what's happened, though, in the first two weeks of the season is that normal, you know, routine celebration is being flagged. You know, the guy that gets up and pumps his arms up in the air after breaking up a pass on defense to force a fourth down that is being flagged for taunting. I think there are degrees of taunting, and whatever the uh, lowest degree of taunting, um, which was never an issue uh, with anybody really, is now being flagged. The real taunting, the, the taunting that provokes, the taunting that you know potentially provokes a fight, uh, the taunting that you don't want your children to see, which drives me nuts when I hear that conversation. If you don't want your child to see it, don't let him watch it. And if you're going to let him watch it, tell him and explain to him why it's not right to do that in his own game. Uh, but it's that they're essentially flagging anything that even resembles taunting. Like, they've taken... A, a very subjective. That's how you change. That's how you change behavior. Well, no, the behavior. With, with, but the, the behavior no was But the behavior wasn't terrible to begin with. You didn't have a major taunting problem in the NFL. You haven't had a major taunting problem in the NFL. I just think they're trying to fix a problem that just wasn't much of a problem. And it's not because of what you said that people don't have an issue with taunting. I think people do have an issue with, you know, taunting. I just think there are degrees of it. And these guys I are think, getting flagged think, for things that just don't really <clears throat> re- uh, resemble what most I people would he, consider to be I a taunt. I think you've got a generation of, of young fans that think taunting is cool. Um, that may be true. That may be true that there's – I don't think it's a generation of, of, of fans. I think that there are fans in general, by the way, and some of them aren't all of the same generation, that love the confrontation, that love the fights that come from, you know, a real taunt and a, a real provoking taunt. Um, and, and But I, I think that that's the minority. I think what's happening is you're taking plays where players are expressing emotion after a big play and you're flagging them for it and it's changing the games. And nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see a dude get up, take a football and push it right in some dude's face or at the 10-yard line start taunting the guy and high-stepping and pointing at him before he's in the end zone. Nobody wants – some people want to see that. But that's been flagged. Those things were being flagged. 
Now you're getting, you know, basically DJ Reed breaking up a pass with AJ uh, uh, AJ Brown on a third down and pumping his arms in the air while looking at AJ Brown, and he gets flagged. It, it's it, it it's more of a a routine celebration from the past that is now being flagged. I think that's what most of us have an issue with through the first two weeks. By the way, I do agree with you. I think this is going to be one of those things that eventually, all of a sudden, this weekend or or next weekend, not as many taunting penalties, and they're going to relax the way that they're um, enforcing this, and they may not even tell us, and they're going to say at the end of the year, well, we got the message across in the first two weeks. But it's, it's a message they're getting across that I just don't think was a major problem in recent years in the NFL. Well, we, I, I, I'm, okay, I'm okay with enforcing it, but if, if it goes away, it's no big deal. Um, well, if so if it goes away, it's no big deal. So if they're allowed right. to continue what they've been doing and getting flagged for, it's not a big deal. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a big deal to me, but I don't like it. Yeah. In other words, am I going to draw a line in the dirt? say this is where I'm going to fight my fight over taunting? No. But I think it's distasteful. I think, I think it takes away from the game. I, 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 don't, think it's, I don't think it's good human behavior. I, I, but so, what do I know? Uh, no, I, I certainly think a lot of the, you know, the taunting that's been flagged in the past um, I, I've not been against. Um, but they've taken it to a degree where just – ordinary celebration is being flagged. I, I'm, I'm not for that. I'm for real issues that bother me um, in football being addressed, like, you know, the 10-minute overtime, which is silly. It should be a 15-minute overtime. I've talked about that for several years, where, you know, the five-yard illegal contact or defensive hold on third and 20 turns into a first down, even though the hold was nowhere near uh, where uh, the quarterback was looking. Uh, I, I, some of those things I'd like addressed. Um, I think they've gone overboard here early on the taunting issue. Anyway, uh, anything else or are we done for the day? That's it. That's all I got, too. I got nothing else. I feel like today's show was a little bit um, herky-jerky, uh, and I think that was my fault. Let's give the show away for free today. Let's do that. Let's not charge anybody. Hey, guys, yeah. today's a freebie. Today, <laughs> today you get – now, did you see this, Tommy? Did you see if you, you know, buy three games together, you get a massive discount for Washington football games? Hold on. Where Look, is that anything they Anything they need to do to get people on the stand oh, I'm is, all for is, it. is smart. Uh, it's th- smart. Th- thank God they're doing it this way that, than the way they used to do it, which was to act like there was still a waiting list and then there yeah. was nobody in the stadium. Um, yeah, and they have to drop the cost of their tickets to get people into that stadium. That's what you do. Oh, shit. I'm looking for this thing because I saw it the other day, and it was something like um, literally like buying, <clears throat> I think it was a package of three for essentially the cost of one game. And I think the Chiefs game was one of them. Wow. I could be wrong about that. Their next um, home games are the Saints and Chiefs and Buccaneers. I mean, quite a next three-game stretch. Oh, the Seahawks after that. And then you get into all those division games. So, um, yeah, there was something the other day. I think it was 
essentially um, pay for one, get three. So that's what we're doing today, okay? Um, we're giving you today's show and tomorrow's <laughs> show for free, but you have to listen to Thursday's show to get the first two free. There you go. All right. What a deal. All right, see ya. Uh, Cooley's going to be with me tomorrow. Uh, have a good day.